Welcome to Learning with Lim, a business podcast not just about the financial industry, but what's happening at Philip Capital around the world, along with many interesting stories of lessons learned along the way. I'm Lynette Lim, and I'm the co-CEO of Philip Capital in Chicago, but I also go by daughter to our founder, wife, mother, big sister, friend, and also fellow student. Thank you for listening in today. Okay, so after you studied in Malacca and in, went to Malacca High School, and then how did you end up with the scholarship to study in Australia? And then why do you choose biochemistry? Oh, that's a very unusual and a very long story. When when I was growing up, every if you are very bright, everybody thinks you should be a doctor, right? Especially so, you know, and if you're not a doctor, then you have you no. Know, uh, I grew up with everyone telling me I should be a doctor. My parents wanted me to be a doctor. I wanted to be a doctor. Okay. And uh, in the last couple of years of high school, in we call it sixth form at that time, so it would be year eleven and twelve now. Uh, my father lost his job. And we were in a situation where he was getting, not, not he, he was just trying to get a consultancy here or helping there. And then when I was doing my A-levels, which is year 12, he still had not got a job. Okay. So, and and so I applied for, I applied, yes, I applied for a medical scholarship and did not get a medical scholarship and was awarded a scholarship to do science. And in Australia, there was at that time, in our part of the world, Malaysia and Singapore, a scholarship which was decided at a, called the Colombo Plan. It was decided at the Commonwealth Head of Government's meeting, which met in Colombo. And at that meeting, the heads of government of developed countries like Australia, New Zealand, Canada, England, offered scholarship. Uh, it was decided that they would offer scholarships to the bright students in the developing countries to do their university studies in in the host country. Okay. So I found that I, I did not get the scholarship I applied for and was offered one in science. I was in a situation where I did not think I would even have money to go to, to university. Oh, wow. So I just accepted it and just went ahead and went on to do science. I was supposed to do zoology at that time also. Girls normally did zoology and botany or biology, okay. or physiology. Very few girls did chemistry. And so I went to Australia with that in mind, but after the first year in Australia, I did chemistry and biochemistry and loved it so much, mm-hmm. I asked if I could go on and do chemistry instead of uh, biochemistry, mm-hmm. instead of zoology. They said, not a problem, it's not a problem at all, it's just, you know, the subject you choose. So I went through and biochemistry was in its beginning years, there was no such thing as, you know, immunology and clinics. You know, all those were not there yet. So but chemistry broke up to biochemistry, so I went up to biochemistry, and uh, that's how I became a biochemist. I 
I must admit that uh, I'll I'll preempt the question. Mm -hmm. Many people ask me, do you ever regret not doing medicine? And I must admit that I'm not that kind of a person. This makes me a bit different because when I go on a certain task, I never look back. I meant to do it, head for it, and I never think, oh, if I was a doctor, oh, no, if this is this thing, it, it just never occurred to me, you know. Here I was, here I am fortunate enough to get a scholarship to study in developed country in a prestigious university and I enjoyed myself and I just went all out and I I never tried to apply to do medicine while I was in Australia or anything like that. It just, it just carried on and on and on from there. But it is a trait which I think the Lord has given me that kind of thinking and it I, I believe it is a strength because it is one which I try to impart to my own children and grandchildren that when you're supposed to do something, you don't keep on looking back. You just go ahead and do it. Because every time you look back, you make a step and you do, you know, in peace, it's an impediment when one keeps looking back. So I just did what I had to do, carry on what I had to do, and I did very well in it. Okay? That's about that. That's the person I am, all right? And uh, that's why I am here also in Cambodia. This is something I have to do. I don't, <laughs> and I do it. That's it, you know. And I don't think of, oh, if I'm in Singapore, oh, I'll be having, oh, 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 oh I, I can go to a concert, or, oh, you know, I can have this kind of food, or what. It's, you know, it's just something I have to do. Let me do it, and let me enjoy doing it. But in a way, a philosophy, in, and, and it, has, it has carried me through all these years. So where did you get this trait from? Do you think it's inherited from your parents or it's something that you figured out that that was the best thing to be? It came from my mother. Yes, there is a very distinct incident which she never remembers having said that to me. Mm-hmm. Or I mean, there were different things mom taught me. You know, I mean, mom taught me how to clean fish even. I know all that kind of thing, but there was a point at my, and I was in up, in the upper level of primary school or, no, no, maybe form one, first, first year of like lower secondary. And uh, I just had this mathematics problem, which I could not, which I was struggling with it. Okay. So I went to mum and I said, mum, mum, I don't know how to do this one. Can you, no, look, no, I, I can't understand this. Yeah. So she looked at it, she looked at it, and then she looked at it. It took a long time. And then she called me out and she said this to me. And as I said, later on in life when I discussed it with her, she said she cannot remember <laughs> ever saying it to me, you know, but this is what she said to me. She said to me, I mean, all your life, I, you have always been able to come to me and ask me. I've held your hand, you know. She said, this time, she says, and from now, uh-huh. I am to let your hand go and you are to go ahead. But remember, every time you're afraid, every time you are unhappy, just look back and you will find that I'm just right behind you. She told me that at a very early age of my life and I knew that, and, and she told me I had to strike off alone, all right? Mm. And I had to strike off alone in secondary school, and that's why, you know, 
these are early teen problems, and I struck off alone to go to Adelaide, you know, to go to Adelaide University. I was only 16 years old when I left the country. So all this is, you know, but mum's wisdom in telling me that no matter what it is, yep. just look over your shoulder, you know, I'm just right behind you. And I suppose that's it, lah. I just had to strike off alone. Whereas my sisters always had me, you see. And you, you understand, I was party, you know? Yeah. But uh, I did not have a party. So I, you know, and I, and, and my mum had accepted that here, that she had to let this child develop at this child's pace, you see. So yeah. that was, so that was the influence my mother had upon me. She oh. had confidence in me, she, you know, and, uh, she let me go, you know, right to grow, right. And so now, who is that person, or or belief, or whatever that you look back now, like now when? <laughs> Wait, now you do that, yeah. Do you see that? Now I'm seventy five years old. I am that person to other people. I hope. I hope. I hope. <laughs> There are very few people older than us now, huh? <laughs> Between you, your mother, your your father and I, you know? So, yes. So then, what was your first career after you graduated, right? You finished? Oh. Then what, what did you do? All right. I, look, uh, don't laugh, Lynette. I chose to do biochemistry, right? You know that, right? And then, at the end of my honors year, we have the degree and then the honors, which is, in America, it might be sort of like a master's, but a little bit below. And after I finished my honours year, the government in Malaysia suddenly woke up that there was a person who was finishing a biochemistry degree, supposed to be a school teacher, but school teachers don't do biochemistry. Okay. So I was called back before I did my diploma in education. You come back, and therefore I had... So I didn't do my diploma in education to train to be a teacher. I went back and it was a tussle between the medical faculty in uh, that time they had just started the University of Malaya medical faculty had just started in KL University, University of Malaya and uh, the Rubber Research Institute of Malaya. Both were in Kuala Lumpur. So it was between one or the other. The biochemist was supposed to go to one or the other. And I don't know what happened, but the university won. They sent me my appointment letter earlier than RRI, you know, Reparation Research Institute. So I went off to the University of Malaya, and I was tutoring students in biochemistry. Okay. So I was working with medical students, you know, and that was how, you know, how it was that I never became a teacher. I, did, I worked in the medical faculty and from there I moved on to, you know, and stayed very much in uh, medical or clinical biochemistry. Okay. And then how do you end up in Singapore? Like how from Malaysia did you end up um, working for the government that, in Singapore? You're going to laugh. Okay. I was a first generation bond breaker. I broke up my... I, broke my bond with with the Malaysian government. Okay. And now I know that I hear a silence on your part. <laughs> it all it had to do with the Bumiputra policy. Okay. In my first year in working, we were told that we 
had to give special preference in marking of papers of the Bumiputra. Okay. Because they were not doing well in, in our subject, in biochemistry. We were all called up because, you know, the special group of students weren't doing as well, da 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 da. So, and I could not take it. I just could not, I, I just felt a sense of great unfairness to be told that we had to, you know, discriminate. We had to discriminate, you know, positively for us, for one race. So I went back and told my father and my mother how I felt and how unhappy I was. And my parents looked at me and they said, all right, you cannot carry on like this. You will not. I said, no, I cannot carry on like this. I cannot give special marks, you know, to a person just because he is of a certain race. You know, I just can't. Right. This is not me. Yeah. So my parents, in their wisdom, put their money together. My father borrowed on his insurance policy. My mother took out her EPF in Malaysia. It was called Employment Provident Fund. And together they they racked up $5,000, which was a handsome sum of money at right. that time, right. and gave it to me so that I could break bond. So I broke bond. I paid up the Malaysian government. And at the same time, I applied for a job in Singapore. And uh, I got a job even before my period of work notice was up. I got a job very easily in Singapore. And uh, I started working in the Department of Pathology in the Singapore General Hospital as a clinical biochemist. In okay. So at one, in Malaysia, I was tutoring medical students. In Singapore, I started a professional career working within the hospital itself. Okay, and then how did okay, you end so, up in politics? How did the switch go? How, how did I? Yeah. Because, like, you were working for the lab. There are many steps between that. Well, I was in the government hospital working, and then my boss moved on to work at what he was, uh, what was called in Industrial Research Institute, which later on became the Singapore Institute of Standards and Industrial Research. And I I wasn't too enamored with the one who took over after him. So Dr. Lee asked me if I would like to join him in Institute of uh, Research. Okay. And I did. So I went, I moved from doing clinical and work, you know, a medical biochemistry. I moved on to industrial and food biochemistry. And at food and industrial biochemistry, I found that I wasn't challenged. I I was restless. I, I just really bored, you know. And I could not go back to clinical biochemistry. Somehow or other, it's just when the water has passed the bridge, you, can't, you don't reverse the flow of the river, you know. So then I just decided to think what I could do and... At the same time, my kids were needing me a lot. Uh, they were just going to school, and uh, I could not do work full time at a at a government institution and still not spend time with them because they were needing me. They were just, as I said, they just started school. So there came this idea that I should venture out and do things on my own. So I started, uh, so my husband and I started to look for premises and uh, I opened my own medical laboratory essentially. And I, as the children came to me after school, it was 
Okay. The, the reason why I went into into private business was because I knew they needed me and I, I wanted to be, you know, to have more time. So after school, they would come and have lunch with me and then do their homework. And then I drop them off for swimming lessons or whatever, or music or whatever it is, and pick them up again because I wasn't boss. I could come in and out when I liked, right. you know. Whereas if I'm not the boss, I can't come in and out when I like, you know, and when the kids needed me, whatever it was. So the kids grew, grew up in the laboratory. I had a special corner in my room for them for homework, for lunch together with them and all. Okay. And uh, they grew up in Tangling Shopping Centre uh, <laughs> after school. And then I dropped them at school. I, I, no, after lunch, then I dropped them for for swimming and music and those those kinds of things, you know. Yeah. So so that so I went into my own business, I create, uh so that I could have time. You no, know, I I could, you know, also have time with them and develop them together. So that was really. And as I was in my business for many years, I things started to. Again, I must say I, I did get a little bit bored. So somebody asked me to join a service club and help with the deaf. So I joined the service club and I helped with the deaf association and I became its vice president within a few months and within a year I took over the the presidency and then the and worked with the deaf children. Yeah. And within three, four years our deaf children were finishing O levels and getting into polys and applying to go to university. So suddenly the Ministry of Education woke up and said something's happening to the Association for the Deaf. <laughs> and then you know, they sort of found that there was this woman who was working with them and uh, in the education and vice president in charge of education. Yeah. And then they invited me to to chair, to be uh, the of a neighborhood school. At that time, the ministry was experimenting with school boards or school advisory committees, then they called. And they decided to invite some of us and Permsex and all that to be the chairman to see whether they can bring up the levels of these uh, legat schools, all right? right? Legat schools. And I innocently, okay, all right called to do national service, all right, I went and did that yep. at the same time running the deaf school and all. And again, like that school started to rise. You know, I, I, I had some very good friends among the Pernsex, including Lim Xiong Guan and uh, a few prominent people who were, who had also been called to do this type of national service. And so then, you know, and after that, uh, to my surprise, I was asked if, I would go and be a member of parliament, and that was what I, I was really stunned. But I said no that time because my daughter was primary six and my son was just in fact one, and I said, no way, I said, no way. And so I, I, I had responsibilities at home. Yeah. And then five years later, at the next elections, they came again and knocked at my door and asked again if I would consider that, that now that your children have you know, finished secondary school, mm-hmm. my daughter was in A levels, my son, you know, was, you know, going to university. So, and then my son said, great mom, great mom. By that time, she was, you know, he was, uh, a young man who, you know, so I so I went into politics. That when when well, it was 
it was time for a change. I needed a new, some new challenge, and my kids no longer needed me. You know, my yeah. as I said, my daughter was already in. No, no, my daughter, my son was. Yeah, they are one year apart. Yeah, no, they were just lower six and upper six, that kind of a thing. You know, so, so that's that's, so how, that's how I went into politics. I was asked to come in to do national service. I was doing work out there with the deaf and okay. with the uh, lesser schools, the schools which were, uh, with the school which was considered a neighborhood school and struggling, you know, and uh, it, so I, I still remember both schools very fondly because, you know, when you do the right things and with them, you can see changes and developments and it, yeah. it's very, it's very heartwarming yeah. uh, when, uh, when you see success and uh, children achieving higher levels of achievement in the education. So I was very happy to see mm-hmm. that. So how is it like, like what, how is politics, the life of a politician different from a life of a business person like you, you know, before, or how is it like? I, I don't even begin to understand how, how it is like, I, I, the public eye. Lynette, my political career was a three-year one. I lost in the next elections, and, and while it was a difficult loss, I just again moved on, you know, moved back into my practice. (laughs) I had had to get someone to handle my practice, you know, when I went into politics. I I did enjoy the the newness and the challenge. I did enjoy being with the community. I did enjoy my work. The late Mr. Lee Kuan Yew has this amazing gift of stretching people to their maximum. I was given a, a... a young ministry, they call us ministers of state, who was given two, one of which was in education mm-hmm. and one was in community development. Mm-hmm. Both huge ministries in terms of people. Right. Not, I mean, education also handled a lot of finance, used up a lot of money, but in terms of people reached, these were the two with the largest, no? Yep. Education, all the schools and community development, all the other people, including people's association. You understand? Right. So it was... So related, um, right? It, 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 yeah, one is very community-related and one is education. Both are very close to my heart. So it, it, I was very stretched. And uh, I had... Uh, well, being the first woman minister, yeah. I had a lot of engagements in the evening, opening of a school or a special school anniversary, they would invite me. And then being the first woman minister, women's group would also invite me for dinners and all that. And I really could not say no because there was no, I was the only woman, you, 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 you understand? On top of that, in community development, on the welfare side, the community would have special days, you know, and culture was under us also. So it was... Oh, my God, it was really, really, really tiring. I used to fall asleep going to some of, from one thing to another. And at that time, I would book the drivers from the Istana and because rather than drive myself, and they would tell me, ah, Dr. C, you can close your eyes and rest for a while. We won't get there until 20 minutes or 30 minutes. I will call you when you get there, you know, that kind of thing. They were so sweet. They knew I was exhausted. But so being the only one, I could not say no. You, you understand? No. I could not say no to a woman's group. I could not say to a, no to 
children's group. I could not say no to, oh, it was, it was like that kind of thing. And all these engagements were evenings, you know, openings, like dinners, like, you know, anniversaries, or, you know, special anniversaries. So I just... So, see, yeah, you mentioned... So anyway... Yeah, uh, you, you mentioned that you were the, right, the first uh, woman minister. So it was a big deal. But can you explain, like, why is it different? Like, you're saying that because you're a woman that you have to do all these things. Like, why, why is it different for you? Because I was the only woman, or if you're YWCA, you are having your 100th anniversary. Okay. You will invite the woman minister. You won't invite the men minister. You understand? Okay. So, so the, uh, it's not just the Christian groups. It's, you know, all the women's groups. Okay. Women's local clubs, you know, that kind of a thing. Any special event or the opening of a building which uh, the women's service club is funding they will want the woman minister. And all, I was also community development, which was welfare. So I was the right minister to ask, and I was also a woman. So, okay. so it was that kind of a thing. My engagements were very heavy because not was I carrying a portfolio, I was also the only woman. woman. You understand? Yeah. So, yeah. so if you're a woman's group, you'll invite me. If you're uh, in education, it's shared between Tony Tan, in soon and myself, yeah. so I get one third. If it's in community development, the minister gives me about one third, you know, so he keeps about two thirds. Or, you know, so that, but you add all that together, you end up with a very heavy, you know, thing. And sometimes the minister will say, okay, this occasion, we're going to the university, I think you better come with me, you know. Right. So then I go with him. So two of us are there, you know. Yeah. But he's the main guest. And I'm going with him. And uh, he will call all three of us. You know, it's big enough for the three ministers to be there. So I'll be there. And soon will be there. And uh, the minister will be there. And he will be giving the keynote speech. But we have, he has told us, I think you better come this time. So also really, you know, it is that kind of a thing, right? You know, that, yeah, uh, I understand. I, I mean, we're talking only about, about filling the hours, you know, yeah. uh, in the evenings. But... Um, the work was also very challenging, but I did enjoy it. Look, really, I enjoyed it. It, it. I had reached a time in my life where it, well, you would call it a midlife crisis. You know, you're in your 40s, you have achieved almost yeah. everything you want. The children are growing up, you're cutting the apron strings. So that challenge was exciting again. So I had a new phase, you know, of excitement yeah. again. Okay, so thank you very much for your time. Yeah, and really thank you. Thanks, Lynette. I, I, I look forward to seeing you. I will not be in Singapore in July because okay. we're all working up towards this. In uh, On Saturday, we do we have our first student selection. Okay. In July, we will be selecting our first lot of teachers. And uh, my main function is to connect. Uh, we have a wonderful person who is the school director, and uh, I would call him the program director. And uh, I am chairman of the board, no? but uh, also mainly involved in fundraising and doing all the connections, like connecting all the dots, okay? So, and enjoying it. Okay. okay. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Good night. Night. Thank you for listening. Please leave a comment if you have any questions or topics you'd like me to discuss. I hope you enjoyed learning with Lim. Until next time, have a great day. And remember, there's always room for learning.